Hebrews Bible Study, Part 20, Brief Discursus on Assurance For lay leaders and deacons to conduct after the Sunday service or during a midweek Bible study session. Hear the word of our Lord from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. The PDF file for this Bible study includes a proposed restructuring for the sake of exegesis. For verses 19 through 25, I recommend everybody listening go to verylutheran.biz for the Bible study resources and take a look. This will help us to understand the passage. But for now, let us move on to the introduction. Having made his conclusion regarding the supremacy of Christ's being, position, sacrifice, and priesthood, the author of Hebrews now directs his readers to hear the application of the matter. This enters into his fourth exhortation, the so what of all doctrinal content in the epistle, which goes from the 19th verse of the 10th chapter all the way up to the end of the 12th chapter. Here is now the point that he wants to make on account of everything he has taught, and it starts with assurance. Beginning with a therefore, we are certain that the author is speaking of the preceding point he made in Hebrews 10 verse 18, wherein he says, Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. That is, Christ's atoning death on the cross was so ultimately sufficient that the sacrifices laid out in the book of Leviticus are no longer necessary nor desired by God. Since this is the case, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, meaning we have an entry into the heavenly Jerusalem where God dwells on account of that final sacrifice. One might notice the use of curtain in verse 20, which recalls the curtain used to veil the holiest of holies in the tabernacle. This location, wherein the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be stored, was the place wherein the high priest obtained mercy for the people on the Day of Atonement, because in it was the special presence of God upon the mercy seat. From St. Matthew's Gospel, the curtain of the temple into this location was ripped apart at the moment Christ died. This means that our Lord Jesus has taken the place of the curtain. That considered, 
the author of Hebrews has just made a statement bordering on the scandalous for his initial readers. Christ is now the curtain, and no one may enter the presence of God the Father except through him, and no mercy may be obtained except by going through him. Well enough. The Old Covenant's sacrificial system has been replaced by one in which our high priest serves as the living curtain, the only one who grants access to the Father. But the scandal is not in this revelation, for the first century reader would know that the temple replaced the tabernacle which replaced the old system of stone altars and so on. What is shocking for them instead is that we, the believers, are granted access to the holiest of holies, God's direct presence in this way. For over 1,400 years, no one went into the holiest of holies except the high priests in the Levitical order. The laity and most everyone else were barred entry entirely. Now, however, the author of Hebrews invites all believers to come to the presence as though each one were elevated to the same rank as a high priest. Thus he agrees with St. Peter that the church, God's Israel, are the true priestly nation, and is elaborating on the consequences of this point. Elevating their status and value in this way would be fantastic news as it is, but the author continues the elevation by saying one may enter God's presence with boldness, a confidence unlike the trembling, fearful fashion in which the high priest entered into the holiest of holies, drenched in the blood of animals, wearing a rope with bells in case some minor sin was forgotten, and he immediately died. In a way, the Christian has greater freedom and even higher priestly status than the man charged with running the highest sacrifices in the Old Covenant. The author of Hebrews states that the Christian already has this boldness, not that he must attain to it. Whenever we pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, we enter into this holy place spiritually and obtain what took gallons of blood to receive under the Mosaic Law. In case anyone should claim that we have no such right to enter these places, the author reminds the readers, we have a great priest over the house of God, meaning that as a priestly nation we do not answer to those outside the church who would bar us from God's graces. Thus, in a roundabout way, the author of Hebrews condemns all sacerdotalism. Now, one must understand what assurance means to the author. He chooses the word pleroforia, which means to have a full bearing or complete certainty. We must note that this author does not choose to say faith or pistis, leading us to conclude that the author is thus establishing a distinction between the two. For that matter, when we reach Hebrews 11 verse 1, it may be tempting to think of assurance as preceding faith, 
but the author uses a different word with a different meaning then, so we will cross that bridge when we get there. For now, the sequence the author uses here is faith, then confidence, or boldness, then assurance. One believes in Christ, leading to a priestly confidence to go to Christ for mercy, then an assurance that one has obtained mercy. When the author makes a confusing statement like, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, suffice it to say that we are called to have certainty in the efficacy of our faith and the one in whom our faith resides. It is a positive formulation of St. James' warning against being double-minded. In other words, we are to have confidence that we are truly justified by faith in Christ, and Christ truly did save us. To have assurance is to take one's faith from ascensus, or mental assent, to the facts of the gospel, which even the demons have, per James 2.19, and deepen it to fiducia, or saving faith and trust that the Lord graciously saves us through the gospel. But if it is the full assurance of faith, then faith precedes assurance. This is only reasonable. How can one have assurance that they are saved by the blood of Christ if he has no faith in Christ to begin with? Thus the author calls us to have the full assurance that faith produces, but also in the faith which God grants. One reading this letter might ask how exactly one is supposed to have the full assurance of faith, when faith itself is not quite the same as assurance. One cannot say, I have faith, therefore I am confident in my faith. Let the reader understand that the author of Hebrews does not ask us to engage in this sort of circular logic. To which objects of faith does the Christian look, then, for this certainty? First is baptism. Verse 22 says we find this with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Knowing that St. Peter associates baptism with clean consciences and the forgiveness of sins, in Acts 2.38 and 1 Peter 3.21, there is nothing else of which the author of Hebrews could be speaking but baptism. The washing of water on us applies the cleansing of the heart from evil. Not only then is the author supporting baptismal regeneration, he is also saying that one finds assurance of the faith here. If we recall the treasure and believe in the promises made to us in our baptism, then we are more certain of our salvation provided by Christ. 2. Confession Not in the sense of confession and absolution, although these do provide assurance, but rather the actual details of the Christian faith itself, that is, being faithful in the dogma revealed in the Word. In verse 23, the believer is called to remember the promises which our Lord has made on the basis of what he has done to secure our hope. 
It is for this reason that a Christian does well to study God's word and to memorize at least the Apostles' Creed, that they may always have a preserving depth of understanding. 3. Good Works Though good works are not meritorious unto salvation, they are beneficial for sanctification, especially as it touches on our confidence in the faith. By exhorting one another to do good works and love, per verse 24, we encourage a more solid walk with the Lord. 4. Gathering Gathering together as Christians, required by the 25th verse, has an encouraging effect on believers. We understand that we are not alone, we are not forsaken by God, and that we are in the presence of people who care about us in the midst of our struggles. This strengthens faith, indeed. We ought to rejoice, knowing that the author of Hebrews provides so simple a means of assurance. So simple of an object for our faith to be found in, that we look to these and say, Yes, I am saved. Let no one take away your certainty as to whether or not Christ died for you, whether or not you truly have faith. If you can look to your baptism, looking to the promises made therein, look to the confession of the faith, to the good works which our Lord is inspiring in you through your neighbors, and the gathering of Christians to know you are not alone, then indeed these together provide the full assurance of the faith.